HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Itoen, the leading green tea company and makers of Oi Ocha, Japan's number one selling green tea. For more information, visit itoen.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. I'm glad to have a fellow three-named person on the show. I don't get many of you. Um, it's a great sect of humanity. Yeah, a lot of us are beaten and, and sent back. But, yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I feel a little beaten down today. but uh, By the weather? By the air pressure? What's beating you down? Oh, it's just I swam too much. It's, yeah. it's something well, as simple as that. I had to stop doing that. I got kicked out. Yeah. I don't, no, actually, you know, I saw you at the gym. This is—I don't remember the last time I saw you, but the last time I swam, it's this new thing where um, I got semi-famous in the last year, which is the strangest experience to have in your life. And I—I was—I knew I had canceled my membership, and it was my last day at the gym. But I had all this regret because you know I like the gym, I like the pool, I love swimming. And I'm about to get out of the pool, and you know you're half naked. You just swam for an hour. You're sweaty, but you're wet. It's a very confusing situation. And one of the lifeguards came over, and now I'm in the pool, so he's he's four feet above where my feet are, and he's talking down to me, and he starts to tell me how excited he is about my television show, 
But, you know, it's like you're half naked. I'm a fat guy. I'm in a pool. I'm in a Speedo. It's the weirdest. I mean, at least he didn't do it in the shower or the sauna. And, well, and he was nice. No, I had a guy do it in the shower once. Yeah. And he, like, tapped me on the shoulder. We're both naked in a in the shower, and he's tapping me on the shoulder to get my attention to say, hey, I like your television program. It's a little... It's a little forward. Yeah. It's like it wouldn't matter. That's always a little forward. I try to find times at the gym where I won't know anybody. So there isn't that, you know, collision. But um, I have seen you at the gym and maybe have, like, stayed away for an extra five minutes so we don't cross paths in those, you know, nexuses. I know. But you and I could cross paths. That wouldn't be weird. Yeah. I mean, I've seen you enough. I, I I I mean, I check you out. I'd, you know, see if everything's in order. Yeah, but I wouldn't. You could tell me weird. if something's wrong too. Yeah, exactly. So I, mean, I appreciate oh, that. that. Maybe you should get that checked. And people have no idea who you are right now. <laughs> yeah, no, <still laughs> yeah. No. Joe Marsh Garland. Thank you for being on the show. Hi, how are you? You know, it's it's fun. I've known you for a while through my wife. You yeah. guys went to college together, um, and now I know you in a whole different way. Uh, you are on a wonderful show called Orange Is the New Black. I am. I'm lucky enough to be involved in that program. Yeah. So is my first roommate in Brooklyn. Oh right, yeah, yeah, right. Your first roommate was Emma Miles. Yeah, absolutely. I totally, I forget that every time. It's so we, like I was at an event last night for the twenty four hour plays. Um, do you know that organization at no. all? So they just celebrate. I think they've been doing it for twenty years, and um, they had a documentary that people made about the twenty four hour musicals, and they showed that, and they were doing some fundraising last night. And I realized how many people I knew from that world from when I used to do tech theater, and I, I kept meeting people and having to. Realize I knew them four different ways. Oh, I knew them from this. I knew them from that. And, and Emma Miles and you, now that it's the same thing where I know Emma from work. I know you through your wife. You know Emma. I have to recontextualize all the time. And the first person that ever interviewed me about my work in New York was Larry Smith. That's weird. I just had an email from Larry yesterday. Yeah. Which Larry's asked me to be involved in a, in a book that he's done, a six-word stories thing. Yeah, that's exactly and one what of I was the one, through. Yeah. The Smith. And so I'm going to go, uh, I think it's in November. He has a, I think it's early November. They have a release for his six-word story book, which is a compilation of six-word stories. I'm going to go to that and uh, tell about the one that I gave him. Stuff yeah. like that. I hope it's about your upbringing because, you know, when you know somebody for a while but don't know where they came from, it's fascinating to find out. Um and, and you want to ask these questions, and this is one of those forums where I actually get to. You know, growing up in Rome, New York, and then moved to Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, your life wasn't all, what is one of those words? Peaches and roses? I'm terrible with these. <laughs> roses and trebuchets? I yeah. don't know. No, but it, it wasn't as fulfilled as it is now. Well, it was, it was I don't know, fulfilled or unfulfilled, but, I, you know, we grew up, my parents got divorced when I was young, they tried to work out a joint custody, and there was a lot of poverty. You know, so there's soup kitchens and uh, pantries, church pantries, um, government cheese, kind of a, I don't know what they call that. They don't call that a food desert, but you know, uh, I remember taking cans to school to put in the food drive that we would then go to food pantries and get cans of food. It was a very strange... Hoping not to get those cans back? Yeah, I don't think we got the exact same cans, but it was, uh, you know, on one side, you're like, oh, we'll put the show out that we're putting the food out there, that we're bringing the cans in. And on the other side, we're going and picking up powdered milk and powdered eggs and things like that. Yeah. Do you still have powdered milk or a Jiffy Mix in, in your pantry? I don't anymore. No, my wife won't have it, which is good. She's definitely upped my food game. Yeah. No, currently we're trying out... Uh, eating mostly grain-free, so there's been a lot of experimentation, but it's fun. Interesting. You know, a big thing for you growing up, too, was going out for Chinese food. 
Yeah, it was like a treat. You know, McDonald's was pretty common, but I remember the times we would go out where there was like enough money around or something special had happened and my father would take us to the Chinese place in Willimantic, Connecticut, where I lived, um, in a strip mall. I was trying to remember if the Caldor was there, or if it, but it was one of those stores was there, and then there was a little, a little uh, Chinese food store, and they would have um, poo-poo platters, you know, where they bring it out, and it's got um, sterno in it to keep everything warm. You're getting like an egg roll and a stick of beef. It was great. Yeah, it was great for indecision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, just, I still love that. I still love going to like a Chinese restaurant and ordering every little different type of thing. I don't care to eat a massive quantity of all of it, but something like dim sum, like going out to Eastern Harbor Seafood Palace. Do you ever go there? Oh, it's one Come of my on, favorites. Come on, peanut gallery. Yeah. <laughs> no. You've never been to Eastern Harbor Seafood Palace? No. Oh, we're my make, God. We're making a date. Sorry, you got to go. Yeah. You got to go. You get out there, and um, it's one of those great places in Brooklyn where you are a foreigner. You have to go up to the host and say, I'm sorry, I don't speak Chinese. Can you tell me when my number's called? And you wait for an hour, and you hope they're remembering you. And they sit you down in group tables, and they bring all the dim sum by. But it's some of the most authentic and tasty dim sum in New York City, like across the board. Better than anything you'll find in Chinatown. Sunset Park, man. It's just a wonderful haven of that kind of cuisine. And, you know, this is from someone who never really cooked that much as a youth or ethnic cuisine per se no i mean there was a little bit you know my mother picked up how to cook rice and beans we lived in a housing projects and there were a lot of puerto rican families and my mother learned how to cook rice and beans there but no i mean our ethnic food uh, my grandmother's pennsylvania dutch i that's the like food background you yeah. know there's a lot of like cookies that's that give pretzels, you a heartburn right? pretzels yeah. we didn't eat pretzels but uh well we ate them my, my, my aunt would do this thing where she'd <laughs> take a hard pretzel and just scoop butter off the top of the butter with a hard pretzel and just eat Pretzels and butter. I like that. That's not the kind of food he eats. No. Do you ever do I that? I really want to do that. It's no, so like, good. I, I have some hard pretzels in my pantry and some really good butter, and that's what I'm going to do that, when I get home. That will be oh, it. It's so good. A JMG move from now on. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty. My wife gets sickened by it, but oh. I do it. But back to this red beans and rice. I mean, you were living in a community where you know it was multicultural, and you were influenced by these things. Do you still find yourself either eating red beans or rice or wanting to explore those communities. You know, in New York, it's such an easy thing to do. I think you're kind of foolish to do otherwise. I don't know how I would seek out, like, non-ethnic food in New York City. You're like, oh, I want a taco. And there's 15 different versions of what a taco is in New York. And compared to L.A. and uh, California, you know, it's always like, oh, New York, New York, uh, Mexican food's not that good. But you can find, you can find, there used to be a place called Oaxaca. Oh, no, there's plenty of Oaxacas. It wasn't that. There was one in... In the East Village, where everything was very saucy. Do you remember that one? It was yeah. like on St. Mark's. I remember the name of that one. But it was great. And then there's like little taco places, little burrito places. What the hell am I talking about? No, no. Bring me back on track. Well, no. Lost. It's wonderful because I, I think I want to liken this <laughs> to method acting. This is great. <laughs> we got the peanut gallery over here <laughs> cracking up but not helping. She's like, you are abandoned <laughs> like, yourself. You're just, you're just going for it. I was like, wow, he's just talking. I like, I lived in the East Village. Lapa Lapa. Lapa Lapa. Oh, Lapa Lapa, yeah. Do you yeah. remember Lapa Lapa? Yeah, absolutely. So the one on yeah. 6th closed, but the one on St. Mark's is still open. And Lapa Lapa had that style of cuisine, which is really saucy. And everything's yeah. like, you couldn't pick it up with your hands. When I lived in San Francisco, it was like, all you wanted was a burrito that looked like a baby that you could unroll the aluminum foil. always what you want in That's your what, life? Yeah. <laughs> But now those exist here. Those didn't yeah. used to exist in New York, and now you can get like a, a burrito that you can walk around with. And now it's multi-regional. Yeah, it's, and it didn't used to be that. Yeah. So, I, I, like I said, I think it's foolish in New York 
not to embrace ethnic food. It's everywhere. It's unavoidable. So much so that you've learned how to make your own barbecue pork buns, char siu, and dumplings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, we would do this thing where we live in a very small apartment. Um, I think we were talking about less than 400 square feet. But I had a cutting board that was big enough. And what I'd like to do, I, I taught myself how to make dumpling skins. And then we'd just take whatever was in the kitchen and make dumplings. And so my wife, who sleeps a little later than I do, but goes to bed a little later than I do, I get up in the morning and spend a couple hours making dumplings while she was asleep. Um, then she wake up. We have dumplings for breakfast. You were a wonderful yes. man to wake up next to. Yeah, it was. It was fun. It was. It was like you challenge yourself. You wake up and you're like, I have flour and I have some almonds and I have some shrimp. What can I do with that if I have a couple hours? And you make dumplings. Yeah. And then her favorite dim sum is the steamed barbecued pork buns. So I found a few recipes and experimented with it. And you got It takes a couple days if you're not doing it in a kitchen setting like in an industrial kitchen because i don't just have char shui in my refrigerator so you got to make that and then the filling has to sit for a certain amount of time so you make that the night before and then the dough it's got like this sweet dough that's almost almost like pillsbury biscuits you know uh you have to do that very quickly you only have about 20 or 30 minutes once the dough is made to actually make the things so, I mean, awesome. it may seem like a leap, but I don't think it is if you talk about acting methods and cooking methods. You know, the investment in time, hitting your marks. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I'm you, excited where this is going. I mean, do you go in as depth uh, to a character study or reading a script as you do obsessively over something like pork buns? Um, a little bit. I mean, I think they're different, but I think the the mindset of, like, research and finding out where things come from i think that's the same um and part of the investigation like for acting you want to find oh I, like i did my men last year with franco on, on broadway ton of fun you just call him franco i now. just call him yeah, franco yeah. for the interview purposes yeah. so i sound cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i did uh, we're gonna put a james in there so you sound yeah here it is this yeah. is the one, james yeah so it's a james franco <laughs> um you know, and you, you, you go and you find dialects from Northern California, because that's where the play was set, and you investigate that, and you find imagery from that period of time. And so I think the, the, the interest in finding authenticity and finding what's the historical precedent, what's the world you're creating, I think that applies. Like, we go to the markets with my friend Susan in Sunset Park, and we, we find um, the ingredients. There's a giant Chinese market. Do you know, is it Lei Fong? What is the, you, do you know the big one? It's not too par- far from Eastern Harbor no. Seafood Palace. Yeah. It's like 10 They're all eight just, blocks. It's just overwhelmingly but massive. But it's a huge, me. huge thing. We found, yesterday we found like foot tall Pocky, which is unheard of. But I picked up a bunch of like black fungus mushrooms and um, bean curd noodles or bean noodles. You know, the bean string. The, mm-hmm. We got those since my wife's. Since we're eating grain free. Nice. You go there. But you seek it out at the place it comes from. You know what isn't grain free? Uh, pizza. Yeah. A spirulina bagel. <laughs> Can you tell me what that phrase means to you? A spirulina bagel? I'm going to buy you a spirulina bagel? Yeah. Um, do you want me to go into the whole the background of I had a band? Is that what you want to talk oh, about? absolutely. So I had, a, I, had a, I had a circus funk band that was based in Brooklyn. And at the time, we uh, mo- some of us lived in Park Slope. I lived over in um, Carroll Gardens. But we wrote a, a funk sex song dedicated to the women of Park Slope, Brooklyn. And uh, there was a certain food culture that comes along with that. There's a certain, like, going to the co-op and buying expensive, weird foodstuffs and buying superfoods and eating that way. 
And so we made this song, the funk sex tribute to the women of Park Slope, Brooklyn. And uh, the end of it, wake up in the morning after having a sexual dalliance and go out to procure breakfast. And that was the line. That was the end of the line of the song, which was, I'm going to buy you a spirulina bagel. That I would go out after having copulated the night before. And as celebratory good morning... I would purchase a bagel made entirely out of spirulina, which we would eat. Can you explain that another way? No. <laughs> I don't know that there's no. another way to explain no. it. I was just trying to create the most obs- uh, absurd food stuff that I could think that a park-sloped person would eat. It is. And I always thought the Blue Ben in Bennington and its crunch berries were crazy. <laughs> but spirulina bagel tops it for me. I, I even think like the Blue Ben having a California omelet is somewhat offensive. <laughs> You're like, in Vermont, there's plenty of good omelet ingredients, and they want to put avocado, and you're laughing your head off me. <laughs> She's, the peanut gallery is just mocking me. You guys just had this lovely yeah. conversation it's that'll like air. It's a silent well, she's, it's a silent. <laughs> she, she's not the peanut gallery because she's allergic to peanuts. Uh, you, know, you know what? Yeah. I guess I can't be the peanut gallery. I can be the cashew gallery. And I almost... Cashew gallery. I almost brought peanuts. I was, when that, we were is at this the t- your normal gift for no, it wasn't. Just I, I, when I was at ward the world of yeah. peanut allergies, I was at the Chinese market. We got these Thai peanuts, these really spicy Szechuan Thai peanuts that I was going to bring. I had little packages of them, but now that I know you have an allergy, I'm glad I did. I would have been really sad. I would have watched Michael eat all of those peanuts. Yeah, you would have, yeah. and then you would have watched him sweat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I would have run <laughs> far away from his like peanut infused sweat. If it's even in the air, does that kill you? No, I'm lucky. I can touch them too. I just I usually wear gloves on set. So you can food style peanuts, but you I can't. I can and have and will. I actually have tested. I actually have a recipe in the book with peanuts that I've never tasted, but I tested like six different times and kept forcing all my friends to eat See, it. Yeah, I'm glad you never tasted it because I still need you as a stylist. Do you know they think that exposure is part of it? Like a lot of those people in Park Slope. Like in the wilderness? The, the helicopter parents in Park Slope. Yeah, no, like yeah. in the wilderness. Those kids have higher rates of peanut allergies and it seems to be because they're protected from peanuts so much that the kids who might have an allergy who never touch it end up with an allergy. Huh. Whereas yeah. a little bit of exposure when you're young builds up more of a like immunity or resistance. I don't know how that works because I am not a scientist. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about those kind of specific meals, actually. Mainly kosher and definitely prison. Prison. Yeah. That makes sense. You've been listening to Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Itoen, the leading green tea company and makers of Oi Ocha, Japan's number one selling green tea, offers an array of award-winning ready-to-drink teas, premium tea leaves, tea bags, and antioxidant matcha powder. From the refreshing taste of tea's tea, brewed with only the purest of teas, to matcha love taking a modern take on an ancient ritual, Itoen celebrates the authentic tastes of Japan with their 50-plus years of tea-making expertise. For a natural energy boost, try Sencha Shot, packed with healthy catechins and vitamin C. Do visit the Matcha Love Store in the Mitsua Marketplace located in Edgewater, New Jersey for their signature matcha ice cream and shakes. Hoji and black sesame are also a must. With a selection of delicious teas, teaware, and gift sets, Matcha Love by Itoen is not to be missed. For more information, visit itoen.com.
too. I would have a Vermont versus Wisconsin cheddar throwdown. I would throw down with you. We could bring two five-pound blocks. You know what? We're doing this the same day that we do our illegal food dinner. Illegal food dinner. Yeah, we're going to start milk. with blocks of cheddar. <laughs> blocks of cheddar. Blocks. <laughs> then we're going to move on to Szechuan peppercorns, which are like they're, so illegal. They've now, just I become guess. legal, yeah. but they were illegal for years because of a citrus blend. Yeah. Tonka beans. Tonka beans and uh, raw milk. Oh yeah. No, we not the milk. A, the cream. We made well, we made both. raw. This is the most illegal. This is the. Th- I'll get arrested after the show, so don't broadcast it till I'm back in Mexico. Okay. We made um, raw milk ice cream this morning, my wife and I. She gets raw milk from a guy. I won't tell you anything about him or where he is because he sounds. But well, we do know it's a guy. It is a man. It is a man. Um, we made lemon and honey. Lemon and honey uh, raw milk ice cream this morning with a little bit of ginger. That's not how you say it. I just had a burp. That's not how you say the word yeah. ginger. I just had a burp in there. It's so it sounded like I had a stroke. Yeah. We're gonna, ginger. Don't worry. I'll auto-tone that. Which would be wonderful. If you could auto-tune this whole thing, I'd feel way better. That would be, that would be so awesome. I want to explore Joe Marsh Garland, who wonderfully hijacked the show with uh, Vermont and Wisconsin Cheese Throwdown, which I only hope we host here at Heritage. Yeah, later we, this year. Do you want to sponsor yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, the thing that. is, are we going to do it for based on, like, ooh, which one tastes better, or which one of us can eat more of the other person's cheese? <laughs> Here's no, a five-pound block of Vermont cheddar. I think that's... Well, just keep going. <laughs> there, there are no clear winners in either of... The, well, in There's the first a pretty one, clear so. loser to who can yeah. eat more cheese. I will take you down, my friend. <laughs> so we might as well talk about prison food now. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. That so, would be on topic. Orange is New Black, obviously, is a huge food component. Um, how involved are you in eating that food? You know, um, the first season, I think all I did was eat food. Yeah. I think I screamed at some ladies, and they had me in the background eating in almost every scene. There was a day I ate uh, 30 or 40 gogurts just for one small joke. Yeah. Um, so the pro- probiotics are strong in you. Oh, my God. Gogurt, I, no offense to gogurt lovers, but gogurt is the most. If you eat. Like 30 things of watermelon meltdown flavored gogurt, you'll want to kill yourself. You'll just want to end it. Yeah, I'm not big on anything that ends in gert. Gert. Yeah. Yeah. There was one of them, there was that. There was a, a day that I ate oatmeal. And I the mistake I made, and you learn this, but I still haven't learned it on the show, is when you're eating something on television, you should only eat a little bit. <laughs> so what I would do is it would be like a three minute scene, and I would eat a bowl of oatmeal. During the scene, I'd have a, I'd be talking to Michael Harney, eating oatmeal, and they'd be like, "Oh, I'm out of oatmeal." And so we'd do the scene again, and I would eat a whole bowl of oatmeal, and then suddenly I've eaten ten bowls of oatmeal because you do the scene a few times. Yeah, oatmeal, macaroni and cheese. You know that's good preparation for your yeah. Well, I've expanded. We did a scene season three where I ate half a sandwich every take, but we had five main players in the scene, so we had to do coverage on five people. So if they did two or three takes on me and two or three takes on Jamar and two or three takes on Lolita and two or three takes on Nick, I ate half a sandwich every time. I went through 10 sandwiches. I mean, were you a competitive eater? Did you put that on your resume? I <laughs> no, mean, but I think I should start. Yeah. Like, I think I've built up for it. Yeah. I mean, ten, 10 bologna sandwiches. So when craft services come, you're out. Oh, I just pass out. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, oh, Zagna. That was... No, not... No, what's the one that... Um, Abba Zabba. Mm. You ever eat an Abba Zabba? Oh, yeah. They're like peanut butter filled inside of a... Um, taffy. Taffy. Really hard, crunchy taffy. 
I had to take a huge bite out of one of those like 20 times one day. It is the worst thing to like put in your mouth and hunker down on and try to rip out like I took a bite out of it. I feel like you should teach a course for actors on um, method eating. Well, I could definitely teach a course on method eating, but not like proper techniques for survival. And we're always, as actors, everybody wants to be thinner and they want to be looking nicer. And I'm always doing the opposite in front of the camera for a living. What are your thoughts about that? Do you like being typecast in that? In that? In what? In that realm. Well, what do you mean? I mean, I'm always going to be typecast as a larger guy because I am a larger guy. Yeah. Um, like with our show, yeah, they, they had me doing sort of this physical comedy about eating for a lot of the first season. Um, but they're more, the writers are more expansive people than that. They're more interesting than that. And so they expanded me, and they found more going on than just kind of a weird guy who eats a lot. Yeah. You know, um, if it is being typecast, if it's not being done by smart people, then no, I don't want to do it. It's not interesting. But when they're people like the folks that I work with on the show, that's fine. Yeah, They're going to find more. That's part of an introduction sometimes. Yeah, I mean, your character arc has been so nice and genuine, too. Because it's almost like you were very introverted in the show, and you start this relationship, and you start coming out of your shell a little bit more. Yeah, and they work. They work from a guy who's kind of in the background to a guy who is almost an an anarchist sometimes, like definitely against the establishment. Although he seems kind of sweet and red velvet. And and yeah, well, he does take a stance when he doesn't like something. <laughs> that was that was fun. I remember it was maybe a month before we shot that episode, and I ran into Genji Cohen, our creator. And uh, the woman who wrote it, uh, Sarah, Genji took me aside and she said, look, Sarah's written something very meaningful to her for you to say. So don't fuck it up. Do your job. Be ready. Right? So I, I took it very seriously. When I finally got the script and realized what was going on and that I agreed with her um, <laughs> in terms of her ethical extremism about that food stuff, uh, it was a lot of fun. But yeah. it, was, it was a lot of weight to do that. To, to sort of own up to what Sarah's feelings are. And now do people prompt you in the locker room about that red vel- velvet? There's a lot of cake baiting. There's a lot of there's a lot of Twitter imagery of red velvet cake sent my way. Uh, but I have to say I agree with her. And so I'm, I'm happy to take it on. I mean, you are so much more than... I'm going to do the acronym. And I just spell it out. What is this? O-I-T-N-B. You are oh, so I- much more than that show... Uh, you know, having been in plenty of other movies, Limitless, Birdman, Lady in the Water, on TV shows like Louis, Boardwalk, uh, Empire, Bored to Death, West Wing. Um, what are your current plans? What What is in production? What are you allowed to even speak about? Well, let's see. Um, I think coming out in October, I did an episode of a show called Benders for IFC. So that's coming out. That should be funny. It's a comedy about... Hockey fans, hockey players. I only know the scene, the episode I was in because they didn't give me all the episodes, but there's like eight of them. Uh, so that's coming. And I did an episode of Elementary that's coming up. And then a bunch of folks, uh, we did a movie with James Franco called uh, Indubious Battle based on a Steinbeck novel, uh, which seems sort of like a natural progression out of, of Mice and Men last year. And that, I, know, I think it's going to hit the festival circuit this winter. Um, maybe in the spring. I'm not sure. They just finished production. We filmed most of it, but they needed a working apple orchard. It's about um, union organizations and apple picking. And so when we filmed the stuff in the spring, there were no apples. <laughs> so now the people who had to be at the orchard just finished, uh, just wrapped up shooting on the apple picking part. And it's a great cast. Vincent D'Onofrio is in it. Um, Ed Harris is in it. Brian Cranston is in it. Uh, James Franco's in it. Selena Gomez. You know, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating story. Uh, Sam Shepard 
is in it. It's a fascinating story and a great cast, so I'm hoping that does something. Are you enjoying this? Enjoying what? Interviewing with you? Well, that too. Yeah. But this, this life as a whole. It's, it's you know, when I was a kid, super poor, didn't know what was going to happen. My, my goals were pretty modest. Um, so the last few years, and in fact, just coming to New York and being able to be a professional actor have been tremendously rewarding. My expectation was kind of, uh, well, I didn't have one. I thought maybe I'd be a second-rate engineer or something. So this is a nice, this is a nice turnout. Yeah. Yeah, nice outcome. Um, I couldn't be happier for you. You know, having known you for as long as I have, but now knowing you that much more, uh, you are one of the nicest, most genuine people, and I really hope to continue seeing you on the silver screen on, on Broadway and uh, at, uh, what is it, East Harbor? East Harbor Seafood Palace. We should plug the hell out of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. be there too, guys. Oh, yeah. We can, you know what? We should do our cheese eating contests right in the. That, that is Harbor. the weirdest. <laughs> I think sitting down at East Harbor Seafood Palace, like eating a chunk of Wisconsin cheddar, might be or the Vermont most. Vermont cheddar. <laughs> for you. The most or for yeah. me. culturally confused well, thing. Well, being, being semi famous, do you think you can pull a ruse and say, oh, it's for a movie? I don't think I'm semi famous at Eastern Harbor Seafood Palace. Yeah. I, th- I think. I'm lucky to get served. You will be after this cheese thing. <laughs> yeah, after the cheese thing. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. See everything Joel's been in. Thanks. And if you see him in the locker rooms, you know, pat, pat him on the back. Say don't, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you again. You've been listening to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.